welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 50th episode, which is a four-part series and probably one of my most memorable episodes to date. Today, I'm here to celebrate the life and the work of Ken Revisa, which is one of the most renowned sports psychologists in the world of sports who we lost a few months ago. I never had a chance to meet Ken, but I had the honor to be a student of his work, which not only left an imprint on me, but it made me a better mental performance coach. Due to this impact, I wanted to use my platform and pay tribute to this incredible man who gave everything to the field of sports psychology, everything to the world of sports, and to his family. So today I'm joined by 12 incredible professionals and friends that are going to share intimate stories and reflections on this beautiful man. So in order today we have Josh Leifrick, Director of Mental Performance for Chicago Cubs, Sue Inquist, former UCLA softball head coach, Bob Tewksbury, former Major League Baseball player and the San Francisco Giants mental performance coach, Justin Sua, Boston Red Sox and Cleveland Browns mental performance coach, Charlie Mayer, Cleveland Indians sports psychologist, Graham Betchart, NBA mental skills trainer, Dr. Hansen, co-author of Heads Up Baseball and Heads Up Baseball 2.0, Coach John Savage, UCLA head baseball coach. Dr. Allison Pope-Rodius, chair of the sports psychology department at JFK University. Dr. Patrick Cohn, sports psychologist. John Baker, mental performance coach for the Chicago Cubs. And Brian Kane, peak performance coach. I can't wait for you to listen to these stories, listen to the love, the laughter, the appreciation of these stories because this will last forever just like the teachings and the sayings of Ken Revisa. Josh, I want to thank you so much for being on my show and sharing your thoughts and feelings about Ken Revisa and his legacy and we all know how important he was to not only to Major League Baseball, but to the field of sports psychology. So I want to thank you so much for being on my show. It's uh, absolutely my pleasure, Grant. Uh, Ken, as, as you said, was an absolute pioneer in our field. So anything that we could do to, to honor his legacy, I'm on it. Beautiful. Well, I know you, look, you worked very closely with him there at uh, Chicago Cubs. And can you share with me the first time you met Ken what was your first impression, and what was your experience like? Well, it's funny. I go back. I've told the story before, so I'll just kind of kind of tell you the the same story. Um, when I took over the position in 2014, the, the director of the mental skills program here at the at the Cubs, we uh, at that point were in the process of rewriting our um, our Cubs way manual. Uh, if you read. If you read uh, Tom Bergucci's great book, The Cubs Way, there's a couple excerpts of, of that uh, in there that that we wrote for um, w- once I came in. And what was interesting about it was as I wrote it, it was really just a, a philosoph- philosophy of all the things that I had been doing in baseball for the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years. Uh, and and what was what was crazy is – I had read Heads Up Baseball when I was in grad when I was in grad school, so it was like 2000, 2001. You know, this is 2014. I hadn't really read the book since then, so I read it once, and it was just really impactful and stuck with me, and kind of drove the way I, I went about my business in terms of of helping others uh, in the game of baseball and 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 you know teaching the mental skills world. And then I wrote this section, the mental skills section of the manual. And then Kenny comes aboard, and Kenny, we we didn't know we were going to hire Kenny. Uh, that was not really in the plans. And then uh, when we hired Joe, so I, I came on August first, two thousand fourteen. Joe was hired during that off season, um, and then you know one of the first things Joe said was, "That's great. I'm glad you guys have a mental skills person, but I want Ken Revisa with me because I've been with him for thirty five years, and I trust him, and I know him." Et cetera, et cetera. So Theo asked me, you know, he pulls me in the office one day and he's like, hey, what do you think about this guy, Ken Revisa? What do you know about him? Joe keeps talking about him. I think we're going to have to bring him in. And I'm like, Theo, we're, we're a bunch of idiots if we don't bring him in. This guy is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> this guy is the guy who kind of started mental skills in baseball. It would be an absolute honor 
for me to work with him. So yeah, let's 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 get him in. It changed how we had originally lined up and set uh, how we were going to design the mental skills program and things like that. But what it actually did was it made it easier for us to focus on the culture and focus on developing the younger players who are now all up there in 2018. Uh, and while Kenny just took care of the major league team, hey, Kenny, just go take care of the major league guys, and we'll take care of these guys over here. So it worked out really, really nicely. But the interesting thing was uh, I gave Ken the mental skills manual, and we read it, and we started laughing because it was like literally tit for tat for everything that we did, uh, everything that he kind of wrote about in Heads Up Baseball. Um, and it, again, I hadn't read it in 14 years. And so it's just, he was so impactful and he, and his message stuck so well and it was so deep and, and clear uh, that 14 years after reading the book, I'm basically re rewriting the thing um, in my own words uh, for this mental skills manual. It was, it was kind of funny. So those were our first couple interactions together. I mean, my impressions of Kenny were just kind, gentle, loving, humble, honestly, um, a beautiful fragility to him. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been doing it for 35 years and he would still get nervous before he would present. That's beautiful, right? I mean, that, that's just that's just awesome. A lot of times my role ended up being pumping Ken up and getting him, getting him, getting him excited uh, and getting him uh, uh, confident. I almost became Ken's mental skills coach <laughs> on, on some occasions, which was, uh, you know, it was kind of fun. And then, you know, he'd go in and he would kill it in front of the guys. And um, some of the most impactful meetings that we had were, were led by Ken. So, um, yeah. How instrumental was he to you with your career? Good. He was uh, um an uncle, right? So he wasn't a dad figure in terms of like, do this, do that. Da, 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 da. It was more sounding board type stuff and, 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 and kind of just kind of pushing ourselves left and right. And Hey, this is what I'm noticing. What do you think? Um, we worked, nobody knows about the 2016 world series um, and how instrumental he was in that. But the way that it worked was Josh, this is what I'm seeing. This is how it's. This is how it's. You know, unfolding. This is what I'm talking about with this guy. What do you know about this guy? How how can I better help him? And it was it was a great collaboration. Um, and he was he was doing a ton of work in that Dodgers series, and then in the Indian series, he was a little bit more in the background, as you will be uh, when you get to World Series. But but that Dodgers series, man, he was all over it. So, you know, it, yeah. I mean, for for me. Like I said, he was he was he was great. He would give advice. He wouldn't overstep his bounds. He he knew we had an idea and a vision for our program, uh, and he would just add his thoughts here and there. the The other thing that was great about Ken was I first met the first time I ever met Ken. Actually, wasn't with the Cubs. It was when I was just finished grad school. It was like 2001, 2002, and I was at the ASP uh, conference in in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was me. Uh, myself, Dr. Angus Mugford, who's the director of performance for the Blue Jays, uh, David DeSilva, who now works on our, our our Cubs mental skills team as well, and, and another compatriot of ours. And we're going up an escalator in the hotel, right? And, and Ken had presented, and you know, at that time it was Ken and Bob Rotella. They were like the absolute superstars of, of mental skills. So if you, you know, as a young, uh, not even a professional yet, just finishing up grad school. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, these guys and I'm like almost nervous to talk to them. And Ken was on the escalator uh, ahead of myself and, and the other three. And we were talking about a session we had just been in. I had no clue what the session was. But we were chatting about it and just discussing it and breaking it down and, and, and seeing how we could use the information that we learned in our practices. Da, 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 da. And Ken just turns to us and he goes, hey, hey, you guys are going to do great at about – 10 years, you're going to be where I am. Unbelievable. You guys are going to do great. And th that was the first time I've ever met him. Uh, I have told him that story too, and he always laughs. But it was, uh, you know, it was this, it was somebody who, again, was super humble, but was also understanding, like, you know, one or, one or two or three words from him to a grad student was, was gold, right? And here he was just encouraging us. So that's, I don't know, would I be in this position without him? I, I don't know, without that conversation, right? It just kind of sticks the confidence back in, in the back of your brain somewhere. Right. Well, you know, it's so far, the people that I've talked to that's been involved in this tribute, they talk about 
there's a plethora of those intimate interactions that you have with Ken. And just having that interaction is really cool. Um, it seems like it was a, uh, an important imprint on you. Now, I've also had Brian Kane, who is uh, on my show, who's a mental performance coach as well, and who was probably one of the major disciples under Ken. And he did his own tribute to Ken, and it was called the KR-70. And he wanted yeah, to... Yeah, I saw that. It was great. Yeah, it was great. So all those statements, right? When you think of all those famous sayings that Ken did, from your perspective, was there a statement or a saying that just stuck out to you or stood out to you that that you just will never forget? Well, I mean, there's so many of them, right? <laughs> right. Like, be, where your, be where your feet are, be present, not perfect. The process is fearless. I mean, all those things that are all over our organization, you know, came out of Kenny's mouth via, via Joe Madden, right? So it's like, it's, it's um, I don't think there's any one. And I think, you know, be where your feet are, one pitch at a time, all that stuff. I mean, it's all Ken, right? And so that's just ingrained in baseball, let alone my mind. Um, so I don't think there's just there's one specific one. I think there's just a multitude of, of everything about a philosophy, about how you go about your business, about accountability, all that stuff. You know, I think the one that I that I that I really like is is the um, you ain't so shitty you got to feel good, or you ain't so are you that shitty that you got to get every call. And, you know, when he would do stuff like that, it was a great wake up call for, for the guys. And it was basically, Hey man, stop being a victim. Right. Right. And, and, and it was just his own way to kind of challenge those guys and, and it shook them up a little bit, but it was great. It was great. Yeah. It's awesome. You know, Brian even said it was really hard just to capture 70 of them because, you know, he said in the past 15 years since I've been, and since I've known Ken, he said there's like 10,000 of them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's special. Now, I know you talked a little bit about his passion, but how would you describe Ken's passion for his work? Just love doing it, right? So just love being around. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I saw such a different side of Ken than I think most people got to see. Um, because, again, I ended up being a little bit of a support network for him. So one of the things that we always talked about was, you know, how hard it was, uh, how hard this job was, and how, how lonely uh, it can be, you know, go out on the road and, and, you know, the, the, the there's coordinators, there's, uh, hitting coaches, there's pitching coaches, there's players, and they they all have, they all have a bat and a ball or a glove. And, you know, we don't <laughs> as mental skills coaches, we don't, we have our voice. And so there's a, there's, there's a separation between what we do and say a hitting coach does. Now there's a lot of collaboration with those people and there's a lot of collaboration with the pitching coaches and the fielding coordinators and all that stuff. But, you know, one of the things for me is that here he was, he did this for how long did he do it for? You know, 30 years. Yeah. And, and you talk about passion, right? So having the passion to come back every day where, you know, back in the eighties, it was just at major league baseball headquarters and, and we were talking about him and I, and I was getting, I mean, I was super emotional that day, just uh, probably more of a mess than I've been in a while. Uh, but the one thing that I keep always remembering about is, hey, I wouldn't have a job, nor would the 40 other people in Major League Baseball have a job uh, in mental skills if it wasn't for Ken. But he went through some serious stuff, like some some taking some shots. Yeah. So just his own mental toughness in terms of, hey, you know, here it is in 1988 or whatever, and I'm talking to a member of the, you know, the Angels. And the manager sees me talking to the member of the Angels. And so that player now is not allowed to play today because obviously he's mentally screwed up. Right? That, that's what Ken had to deal with, was just this antiquated, uh, backwards way of thinking um, from baseball. And, and he stayed with it. He stayed with it. He stayed with it. He stayed with it. So for me, that, that, that's passion. Show up every day. And, you know, this year – be completely honest with you i thought he was doing some of his best work that he's ever done uh, i learned more this year um than i than i ever have from him how to not always have to be in control of a meeting how to let the players take the meeting and run with it how do you how to uh facilitate versus dictate i mean he was doing some just artful magic uh this year with our, with our club which i mean Whatever, winning a baseball game, winning a World Series is, is really uh, small in comparison to his life. But, 
you know, the success that we were having in the first half, um, a lot of it had to do uh, with how how well Kenny had started to take over this role uh, at the major league level. Um, and, and, and I even said this to his wife that, you know, he, he was doing better work this year and he had grown as a consultant this year more than I've ever seen. Um, and it's crazy, right? He was 70 years old and he was still getting better. Um, so it was, it was that, 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 that goes to his passion too, right? Just a willingness to, to want to learn and, and wanted to wanting to find a way to, to improve and, and make better relationships. So really, really incredible. It's like a fine wine, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely. Now, you know, I'm going to tap into your emotion here a little bit. The, the day that you found out that Ken passed, how did you feel? I was braced for it. Um, I kind of just was reading into a lot of the posts that his family was putting up, and I could kind of tell it, it taken a, uh, had taken a sideways turn. I think a lot of people got blindsided by that. Just, just um, they thought, oh, he's in a medically induced coma. He'll come out of it today. Da, 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 and they didn't. Um, for me, that day was absolutely brutal. I. Uh, um, I was in I was in my house in Sarasota. Luckily, I wasn't like in Clinton, Iowa, or something like that, and just kind of sitting on, the, on you know in a hotel room alone. So I was at home. I was with my wife, which was which was huge. But I, I mean, I was just uh, the last time I cried that much was September 11, 2001, when I was living in New York City. So wow. I mean, that was kind of the impact that it, that it had on me. And I was just I was pretty much just weeping all day and just. I remember I was in a, I was like, I had, I had, Hey, baseball keeps going on and life goes on when, even when tragedy occurs. And I remember being in a cafe that day and I, I just had some work I had to do and just some stuff I kind of had to organize. And, and I'm just sitting there in the cafe, just bawling um, as I'm just trying to type stuff up. And, you know, that, that, that was the day. Um, and even now I'll be on a plane and, you know, I got to get on a plane tonight. And uh, when I get in my quiet moments and I have the quiet times, I, I, uh, I'll just kind of lose it. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> no, man, I, I feel you. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. You said a few things early in the show about Ken. You used a couple of words. If you were to describe one word, which I know might be hard, but if you can describe one word that describes Ken as a person, as a mental performance coach, as a father, uncle, what what would come up for you? I'm only allowed one word. <laughs> you can use a few. <laughs> it's just um, peacefulness, confident, humble. I, I just keep thinking of the word hug. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I, mean, I think that kind of I mean, hugging walrus. I don't know those two words seem to jump out right now. Awesome, <laughs> but uh, but but I think the word, if I had to describe it, one word to describe Ken with this, it would be hug. Beautiful. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I think. That's one of the things I always remember about Ken is just always always willing to give a hug and and i remember um on, underneath the stadium underneath the turner field or there in, in, in cleveland not turner field whatever it's called uh jacobs field in cleveland ohio after game seven and 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 just just hugging just hugging with him and crying with him and just being so overjoyed so special beautiful well it's it's actually really cool to hear from you and and the others within Major League Baseball to talk about this incredible mentor to them and also to myself. But there's people like, you know, Bob Tewksbury, who's who's basically said he was a mentor to me. So now it's my time to fill his shoes. It's my time to step up and start mentoring the next phase of the mental performance legacy. And and I'm there. I'm, you know, I'm I'm one of people that reach out to Bob, and and I and it's really great because it's it's cool that Ken was so important to us because he's le- left this legacy and he's given us a role to help each other and uh, people like Bob to take on on that responsibility and and when you and I get to that point later in our lives, we'll take on that responsibility to to keep on helping people within our field. So. 
it's an incredible to experience uh, the impact of this man. And and again, thank you for for being on my show and showing your energy and your feelings towards him because he, I I could definitely feel it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You bet. Sue, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today to talk about Ken's legacy and you know share your thoughts and feelings about this great man and what he's done for sports uh, overall and, and what he's done for the field of sports psychology. So I want to I want to thank you so much for being on my show. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate being here. You bet. Well, as we all know, that Ken was just a unique, incredible man, and people that I've talked to when they first had their first meeting or first impression, uh, it was kind of a neat experience. So when you first met Ken, what was your first impression and what was your experience? Well, I, I met him through a clinic environment and heard him speak and was really attracted to his practitioner knowledge that he'd been in the front row. He had lived up close on the field working with high performers. And I was attracted to that because there's a lot of people out there that are acting as practitioners and individuals that have experience with high performers. And yet you can discern that they really don't. And my first impression of him from afar was, he knows his stuff. What he says was relevant to me, and I was excited to get closer to him and see if there wasn't some possibility of us being able to work together. Great. Awesome. Well, when it comes to the mental game, how instrumental was Ken's work for you as a coach? I think what's interesting is when – at UCLA, I was an assistant coach, a co-head coach, and a head coach. And Ken became very important in my life when I became a head coach. During that time, and um, this was in the late 90s, the sport really started to get big. The stakes started to get really high. And we always talk about how the athlete has changed so much. The athletes changed so much because we changed the environment around the athlete. And when I first met Ken, I felt like I got the cheat sheet on how to teach athletes how to control their psyche. And it was such a dream working with him because he was so, he was so effective with these high performers. And if you can affect change in a high performer, Imagine the impact when someone's just coming into the sport and they, they have all their potential in front of them. People cannot appreciate the challenge in dealing with high performers because there is no margin for error. So you may say as an outsider, oh, how easy is it for Tim Revisa to be working with UCLA? I mean, what do you do? Just yell giddy up? And it's actually just the opposite. It's tweak tweaking and listening and adjusting, but he had this common vernacular. When he walked into a room in the first two minutes when he opens his mouth, <laughs> everybody in the room knows he's legit. Right. He's speaking he's speaking from a position that is man, I've been there. <laughs> I know this. <laughs> and this is what we're gonna do. And for me, he was just so believable and right in his messaging. You know, you, you talked about something that does, has been brought up a lot about Ken, and it's and it's about his vernacular, and we're, we'll get into that later in the show. But he's got this incredible vernacular and statements and energy behind what he says. But he also, what I've been told and what I read a lot about Ken is, is that he's an exp, expert listener. He just knows how to listen and his sweet spot was for the most part college sports he just had a he just had a knack of connecting with with young high performers so when you think about all that energy and that passion 
How would you describe Ken's passion for his work? Uh, he was a lover of people. And we, we hope well, the listeners have always found a person in their life that radiated this love for connecting. People will say, man, he loved the mental game. Ken Revisa loved people mm. and loved shining a light on potential and building bridges in your mind that can get you to the promised land. And he was a master architect of that in the most genuine way. I mean, he just was not a bullshitter. And when you're dealing with high performers, they have a heightened sense of what's real and what's not real because there's so many people around them that are selling them the snake oil. Yep. And you got people coming in and yeah, giddy up, rainbows and unicorns. And the high performers like bullshit, dude, you don't get it. And Ken Revisa gets in here and he's like, listen, man, I get it. And then he will articulate a scenario and it touches everybody in the room. Mm. And for us, he was riveting. We, 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 I could sit here and tell you a gazillion stories about Ken Ramuza and <laughs> pull back the curtain on, you know, I'm extremely proud of the high performers that went through this program at UCLA. But, man, am I grateful for the person that threaded the needle of excellence that allowed us to be great as one. And you can't do that if you don't share a common vernacular. And I'm going to reference that a lot because that became our language. And that became our language when these kids graduate and they go on and coach. Ken's language lives in all of us. And I was talking to one of my kids, one of my players that has gone on to coach, but more importantly is now a mom. And she's like, Coach, I find myself using Ken's language with my kids. I'm like, Yeah, I know. It's 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 in you. You couldn't not talk about it if you tried. Right. It's relevant. It's relevant. You know, it's it's interesting when you think about championship programs like the program that you ran for a long time. One of the key ingredients is having a unique language within the culture. And it seems like that he was a part of adding not only the uniqueness to this language, but there's a legacy to it. And when you have a player that it's, you know, in their motherhood using the same language, so you can tell you can just feel the power of, of Ken's language for sure. And when you have someone, um, I think what's challenging when you're dealing with people that, that are extremely talented, they can also be very buttoned up. Mm. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to contain and control what's been given to them and what they develop. And so when you bring in an outsider, I don't know if people have talked about that, but it's an amazing phenomenon when you have a winning program, to be honest, pretty closed off because the, the world is knocking at your door all the time saying we're the next magic potion. And everybody knows that that's a yellow flag like oh yep you're snake oil right <laughs> right and the gimmicks and all that kind of stuff for sure and i can remember the first time ken came in i had no worry because i had heard him so many times speak such truth around excellence and i just remember thinking how great this is going to be and his ability to connect without saying, hey, it's really important for me to connect with you. You know, you always are worried about the person's like, hey, trust me, right? Like, <laughs> no, you're not supposed to talk about trust. You're just supposed to be trusted, right? Right, right. And how he could adjust and adapt each year to the persona of the team was masterful. That's huge because every team, there, you know, there's always a different dynamic, uh, when you, especially when you're bringing new players into, into a team. And for him to kind of move and and navigate through that, that's you got to have the ability to do that for sure. And he would come in with such clarity around listening to the noise. Right, every team has to manage noise every year. It's a part of of 
being on top. You manage the noise. And every year he would just come in and listen and develop a plan. But always woven through everything was that common vernacular. And he could do it in a way where there were years he'd come up and he'd say, you're locked, you're loaded, you're ready to go, you know. And then there'd be years where he'd say, I'm not real sure. Let me just, let me come up a couple of days and just, let me just kind of listen in to the kids and let me just listen to you and how you're talking to the kids. And one of my favorite stories is we had gotten done. He was up there to game and he came and sat in the clubhouse after and, you know, I'm ripping the kids a new behind and <laughs> we do an after action review. We go in the coach's office and, and the four coaches, you know, Kelly and Perez and Lisa Fernandez and I and Gina Vecchioni are there and he sits down and he's like, and he'd always say this to me. He'd say, Jeez, man, you just sat in there for 15 minutes saying every different way about lay off the rise ball. I mean, if I'm playing for you, my butthole is so tight about the rise ball. God damn it, man. Why don't you start talking about focus on the drop ball? And, you know, so he had this ability to just rip you like a big brother for mm. me. I mean, he just would go, geez, man, I don't know if you realize this, but you just ripped them for 15 minutes about laying off the rise ball. Why do you start yelling, focus on the drop ball? Why do you focus on something they can do versus what they're not supposed to do? Right. And I remember he left. And I remember sitting in the office saying to myself, oh, my God, he's so, he's so freaking right. And, and we were in a super downward spiral, right, because – we were ranked always one, two, three in the country. We had dropped to seven, which is like a catastrophe at UCLA. And I remember focusing the next month on what he had said. I'm like, I'm just going to focus on what we need to do and not what we're not doing. And God, don't you know, we flipped it and got on a run and, you know, got to the end and closed it up, make, made it happen. And I always attribute that season to him because he never had that fear to talk about the pink elephant in the room to the person in charge, even if it was UCLA, mm. because you never, you never got caught up in titles or hierarchy or program legacy. It's like, geez, man, <laughs> get back to the basics. They, they're, you always used to talk about, oh man, be easy on so-and-so, her butthole, whew, it's tight. And <laughs> it was just kind of, it was a great way to remind yourself and I just loved how he recalibrated for me so many times over and over and not afraid to, to have those hard conversations. Well, it seems like he felt, which is great from your perspective, but he felt like every team that he was involved with, it, you're right, it wasn't about titles, it wasn't about a hierarchy. I mean, I know there, there's definitely, there needs to be respect with the head coach, but he just, if you're going to allow him to be a part of your culture and your program, we're all in this together. So we're all we're all on the same page and we're all on the same level. And it seems like he operated from from that in every team environment that he worked with. Yeah, and he um, the other thing that he radiated what su- superseded everything, uh, what superseded the titles, the legacy, the program position in the sport, baseball, or softball. Nothing came before the game, and this is what the game's asking. This is what the game needs. This is how you need to be in the game. And that resonated with our program because everything we did, the game comes first. And it was like the game was the player amongst all players that came first. And we serve that player. We serve the game. We serve excellence. We serve that if you can control your vernacular, you're going to put yourself in a position to be your best self. Mm. And we know that's the secret sauce. Yep. You know, Ken was great at letting people be okay with, hey, sometimes sometimes it is super disorganized up there. That's okay. But remember, we've got the language. Remember, we go back the work we've done. Remember the hay you put in the barn. And when you do, when you, you know, when you end up screwing up that play, you end up screwing up that pitch. That's as old as the dirt. (laughs) One of his favorite things was just saying, man, old as the dirt. You're one pitch away from that next base hit. And it was so convincing. It was so consistent. 
that he just drip, drip, drip over time. He stains your brain for life. Well, you know, it's, I, I love it. I, I mean, you're, this is, this is some good stuff. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with, with Brian Kane at all, but, um, yeah. someone, you know, who's very, very close, uh, to Ken and he did a tribute as well called the KR 70. And he, for, for every year that Ken was on this earth, he wanted to take, you know, he wanted to pay homage to each year a statement. And it's funny because you probably have already done four or five of them so far in this 15-minute uh, uh, segment. It's, it's these statements, these lessons that are his legacy. And it's funny because Brian's like, you know, I have 70 of them, but there's probably about, you know, 2,000 of them. Or even more, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's just, it's yeah. what a celebration to, to, to leave, to move on and have these statements and these, these teachings that are, like you said, they're stained on us in a positive way. It's just, a, it's powerful. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is when you end up having somebody that can teach you this vernacular and, and this, this literacy that Ken Revisa uh, unpacks a layer after layer of performance literacy mm-hmm. regarding mental training. It's, it is a set of mindsets that get triggered based on the situation. And so you, you Ken Revisa first comes in your life and you learn his alphabet and you become literate in Ken LaVisa <laughs> and you reap the benefits of that literacy. But there are many people in the world that can teach you to be literate, that can teach you the things to say and do and think, and, and they're very successful. But there are only a few in your life that are iconic in the sense you become fluent so the alphabet that you are consciously reviewing to be literate in Ken Revisa is conscious, right? You're mm. learning A, B, C of yeah. Ken Revisa. Right. But the next layer, which is the iconic layer, people that actually you become fluent in mental training where it's unconscious that who you are in managing your mental thoughts it's unconscious. It's not a conscious thought anymore. It's simply the inner circle focus. Too. You're going to step in, you're going to step out. I'm a professional now and I do public speaking. I find myself using my Ken Revisa fluency even in those moments. Right. That you put in the work. So for me, it's like take your inventory, Sue, Monday through Friday, and you work your ass off to get to this point. So enjoy the moment, man. And that's, I never think about Ken Revisa when I'm saying that because I feel fluent in it now. It's, it's just completely unconscious. And people that can take you from being literate to learn a language to becoming fluent, that it's just natural. Mm. Those are the people that change the world and Ken Revisa changed the world. A hundred percent. It's, it's, it's all about training the unconscious mind is to be present to do that so you can be unconscious, which is a <laughs> it's a funny concept, right? But it works. And he preached that, especially being present and being in the moment. The other thing that I think the other thing the other thing that he was really great at is projecting success. And the one thing when you're dealing with high performers, what makes them great is also their their biggest deterrent because um, many high performers are perfectionists. Yeah. So that means that they can catastrophize if they don't get 100 out of 100. Like, what if I get 99? What if I get 99%? What about that one? What about that one? What if that one is the, the game-winning hit that I don't get? What about, what about, what about, what about? And he had this ability to consistently say, no, watch. You do that? You just carry on this vernacular. You do that? You watch, you'll be good enough. Man, you're good. Shit, man. You're good enough. You do that, you're going to be good enough. And this good enough, that also resonated, mm. was I'm a perfectionist, but, you know, perfect 
is the enemy of good enough. And to teach a high performer that good enough peacefulness, when great talent relaxes in tight moments, God, watch out. And we, we were the recipients of that. We had perfectionists that could let go of perfect and let their body relax, let their eyes do the work, and we did some serious damage. Man, that's beautiful. I love it. When you first heard of Ken's passing, what did you feel? That the Mach 1 race car is going to go off the track. (laughs) And he'd been hugging the inside lane for decades. And I thought to myself, wow. It's hard to imagine that he's gone because last time I saw him, he was hugging the inside track and humming, <laughs> humming. I, I, we were at, at clinics together, and he's just humming. I mean, just mock speed, inside rail, pedal to the metal. <laughs> and then to hear he's knocking on heaven's door takes your breath away. I know. Obviously, I didn't have, you know, the the intimate connection with him as you did, but being in the field and knowing his work and and being a student of his work, it it was for me too when when I found out things just stopped. It was like, "Whoa, this is a big deal." <laughs> this is like one of the godfathers of sports psychology is no longer with us and it was, and I was on my on my vacation when this happened, and it was really interesting that, you know, getting my master's in sports psychology, I was either watching a video or reading something that had his name or image or voice in it, and all those, all those experiences were coming up for me as soon as I started to realize that he was no longer with us, and it was just a, um, a moment of reflection of his work, and it was, was like, wow, and I'll tell you what, being on my side of this microphone and, and talking to people like you that had front row seats, it's, it's amazing because this, this, um, this is a man that truly has affected students and athletes and coaches and teams and sports organizations. This, this guy was, man, he was, he was it. He had the it factor. And he also, he also was that person that, uh, as much as he was teaching people how to be competitive and be their best, the game itself never got in the way. I mean, I can remember back in the day we had a big rivalry with Cal State Fullerton. And, you know, we in softball, we knew Ken was working with all the great teams. He was working with many teams that may not ever go to a World Series, but he, we knew he was always working with our competitors. And I'll never forget the day we line up against uh, Fullerton. And, you know, he'd always be on our side, right? He'd be in the dugout or the bullpen or be in the stands or whatever when he was able to come to a game. And he's like, hey, hey, Saturday, I just need to like, you know, I need to like, I'm going to be right behind home plate. I'm like, oh, you know, whatever you need, Ken, you know, no problem, you know, what's up? And he's like, well, you know, I'm also working with Fullerton. And, and it was so funny because I pride myself on being a big thinker, but in that moment I got possessive and, like, I could feel the hair stick up on the back of my neck because I felt like I felt like our 10th man, I felt like our secret sauce, I felt like our cheat sheet um, was going outside the bubble, right? <laughs> right. And... And then I remember trying to take the high road with my assistant coaches, and we all felt the same way. Like, we were like, no way. You know, he's our guy. And I'm like, well, no, he's not really our guy. I mean, he works at Fullerton, you guys. Like, yeah, but he's our guy. And I'm like, no, we've got to you know, we've got to take the high road, everybody. And inside, I'm like, ugh, I can't stand taking the high road sometimes because I want to win, 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 right? He was that important to us, right? I just think that's such a great reflection of him is, you know, he goes, hey, you guys have it, you know? You've got it down. They just got to work it. You know, that was another thing. He's like, man, you just got to work it. You're going to be fine. Just work it. 
and meaning make sure you go through your mental routine on defense, make sure you pick your focal point, make sure you do your two deep breaths, make sure you remind yourself of all the work, all the hay you put in the barn, and then just step in and go after it, man, just go after it. And (laughs) I remember saying that stuff to my kids and I felt like such a, a fraud because that was Ken's, that was Ken's to do. But as you go from being literate to fluent, what, what will happen in America, baseball and softball and mental performance and all sports, if he touched your life, is that all the advocates will pass this, this vernacular down. And I think the most important thing to realize is his, did not, his, his knowledge was not from personal perspective. It was simply a, a collection of patterns that he knows provided execution where people became them best, their, their best selves and then got the results. So it became a standard. And so our job is to make sure that we never lose the alphabet, that we never lose those environments where these young coaches, players are coming up, that they learn the alphabet. And hopefully if they practice enough, they become literate. And then if they really want to get it right, it becomes their uh, fluency. Yeah. You know, Bob Tewksbury was on my show and he said, you know, people like Harvey Dorfman and, and Ken Revisa, they were our mentors and they embraced the whole idea of making sure that this literature and this language and these processes get pushed down. And he goes, and it's my job now, now that Ken is gone and Harvey's gone, now it's my time to step up and, and he even like, you know, verbally looked at me and said, I'm going to help you now. It's my job to help you right. and pass this on. Yep. Which, which is great. It, it, which is so true and a, a great testament to his knowledge. But the devastation everybody feels isn't because the, the teacher is, is gone the devastation has to do with the person. Mm. I think people that are touched by his passing are, are devastated by the connection that's gone because that cannot be duplicated. We don't, we didn't, we didn't put Ken in the duplication machine and here comes, here comes Ken 2018. You can't do that. And there are very few people that have been able to do what Ken did on so many layers to be, be an influencer, a teacher, a standard bearer, a connection maker, a huge, huge influence in how the mind can be controlled to be relaxed, to reach your best potential. But I, for me, I miss the man. I miss the guy that cared so much about people and he loved his family and he loved how his family got him, you know, and, and he knew no stranger that was interested in mental training. I can, I can tell you a million stories about calling Ken up. I'm like, Hey, I've got a friend of a friend who has a daughter that's got a 10 year old. The kid's got real bad. Per- hey, give her my number. He has, he had such, <laughs> he would give such access to everybody. And that's another differentiator that doesn't get spoken enough about Ken Revisa. As big, as sought after as he was, he would always be the one, Sue, give the mom my phone number. Give the kid my phone number. I'll talk to him. Right? There was no project too small for Ken Revisa. And that's a reflection of the man he was. For sure. <laughs> for sure. In one word, how would you describe Ken as a person and as a professional? I can't do one word. I'm just going to say. That's, that's fine. Lover of life. Mm. And he was passionate about giving. He was passionate about unlocking the language that lies within you to control your performance self. He was so passionate about unlocking that inside people, but he always had the foundation of his vernacular Hmm. that's woven through all of us. 
that was customized to each relationship and each team. And that's the specialness of Ken Revisa. But God, he loved life. He, he could get fired up about travel and people and places. And he loved his family and had such respect for Claire. And it was just great to see somebody so complete in his day-to-day life. I mean, what a, what a neat thing to say, right? Uh, to see someone complete, balanced. And... Yeah, I mean, Ken Revisa sprinted out the door. <laughs> And what a way to go, right? Right. What a way to go. Sprinted out the door. He went from Mach 1 speedster hugging the inside rail to boom. Okay, it's on everybody else now. Let's keep this thing going. Right. Absolutely. Wash the toilet and move on. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine him saying that. <laughs> right? Right. Right. Imagine all the people up there now that are benefiting. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love it. Uh, well, Coach, this is this is great. Thank you so much for for just bringing us to the front row seat to your experience with Ken, and it really, really feels that he was an impact on you and your program. And it's just a really, it's an honor to to hear your stories and how he affected you. So I want to thank you for, for being a part of this tribute. Well, th- thank you for letting me be a part. And I'm just, I think for me in closing is just showing my gratitude to the family of Ken, because when you're Ken's family, you have to share Ken with the world. And so the world is your sibling. The world is your other partner because Ken was serving the world. And so I'm indebted to his family because it takes great sacrifice to let somebody serve the masses like Ken Bernisa did. Bob, I wanna thank you for so much for being on my show and, and sharing your thoughts and feelings and stories about Ken Revisa and just talking about his legacy and how important it is to the field of sports psychology and Major League Baseball. Well, thanks, Grant. You know, it's uh, great that you've done this tribute to Ken because he has had such a great impact on so many people. And, you know, you never really know until someone's not here. Uh, and then you realize how much he help people that you didn't even realize. And that's one of the comments I heard from the, from the Cubs uh, internally was, you know, Theo and, and Jed Hoyer had no idea that Ken had made the impact that he had. And I think that um, it's a tribute to his profession and behind the scenes and subtle and quiet and the players like it that way, but also effective. So yeah, he's, he's dearly missed for sure. Absolutely, 100%. Well, when you first met Ken, what was your first impression of him, and what was your experience like? Yeah, he, I loved his laugh and, you know, his little nasally talk, like, you know, <laughs> how you doing, man? You know, and, uh, and, and then he always signed off, you know, Harvey, Harvey Dorfman always signed off saying, be good to yourself. And Ken always signed off saying, take care now, you hear? <laughs> Uh, and, and, uh, and so I remember that, but, you know, I think the first time I met him, met him was at a winter meeting in, in, um, in Nashville years ago, certainly was aware of him with his book, Heads Up Baseball and the, and the work that, you know, Harvey Dorfman and Harvey's book came out about the same time. I think 95, the mental game of baseball came out. So I was very fortunate to have Ken as uh, as a chapter in my book that he talks about his early struggles of being a mental performance coach, you know, where he was in the back room where the fertilizer was and, you know, no one could talk about what they were, you know, (laughs) it was all secret. And so he shared a story that's in my book that really talks about how tough it was for him and uh, how that you know, over time, it has gotten easier for us in the field now. But, you know, Ken used to call me and 
kind of talk about the frustration of, of baseball and where where it is with the game, with players today and the way the game is played and, uh, you know, various things on, on the game and how hard it is to, at times to connect the players and uh, how players still don't see the mental skills as really a big part of their performance. They still go to the physical and fundamental side before the mental side. So uh, we used to talk about that a lot. And, um, you know, and, and I miss his voice. I have a, I have a safe message from him probably from about, I don't know, probably two weeks before he passed and I'm not deleting it. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep that message. And uh, so Great impact on the field, great guy, down to earth, sensible, you know, connected with the players, had tremendous passion for the game. You know, he was the model that I think a lot of us in the field now kind of saw as, you know, how to be a consultant in in baseball. And, you know, working with the Giants now, I know he had a huge effect on Evan Longoria, and uh, Evan tweeted out after he passed, uh, Brandon Belt uh, was really uh, sad about Ken's passing because he had worked with Ken at the University of Texas and had a really good relationship with him. So, yeah, it was uh, a really tough day. Uh, that day I read about that it was a really, really tough day. When you first heard that he passed, how did you initially feel? Well, I, I knew that he was in trouble uh, because of the medically induced coma, and that's not a, I don't think that's a good sign. Right. And, but I was concerned that he was, you know, obviously I had concern that he was going to pull out of it and, and get better. And then I just went into the, uh, I found out I went into the hospital website to see the updates where he was at, and they said that. Sadly, he passed away at end something, and my heart dropped. I mean, my mouth dropped, my heart dropped, and I told my wife, I said, Ken passed away last night. Um, and so that was really kind of hard, and I, it, it sunk in. I remember really affecting me for a day and a half. I mean, I still feel it, but the initial grieving part was was pretty substantial that first day because it started like all the things that, you know, that we worry about and then they don't matter anymore, you know, and, uh, that's an existential viewpoint, but from a sports psych viewpoint, he, you know, he was continuing the field. We were working on really big initiative within MLB. You know, the, the teams now have to have a sports psych resource, mental skills coach on staff, uh, you know, he was so excited about that and really was an important voice to have as we continue to formulate that structure within baseball. And, and now that voice is gone. It's very sad. It's very sad, you know, and just a little bit of my, my perspective, when when I heard that he, he passed, it, it was weird. Just um, everything stopped. I just stopped for a second and... Because I didn't, it wasn't real to me at first, and what I had to just kind of reread the article and the statement, and instantly, as everything was stopping, I just remembered all the videos that I was, yeah, I watched during my, my, my grad program within sports psychology, and all the books that I read, and all the things they were just coming up to me, which is funny because I've. Mm. Ken is very important to the sport, to the field of sports psychology and in, in Major League Baseball and, and to all sports, um, to overall the mental game. But it just, because he passed, it, all these pages in my mind just started flashing of all the exposure that I had to him and to his work. And it, uh, it, hit, mm-hmm. it, it, hit, it hit me pretty quick, and it just made me realize, like, this is a big deal. This is one of the, the, the bigger figureheads within sports psychology, and and. I just felt like I needed to do something like this and get people like you to, to, you know, share his legacy. No, and I'm so glad you're doing this grant, you know, to have, I know Charlie's been on and Brian and uh, there'll be others that, that really are thankful that he 
help move the field and that we're the ones benefiting from it. Um, so I think this is a, a great documentary, if you will, or a podcast, whatever you want to call it. But his legacy needs to live on. People need to acknowledge the, what he's done. I believe the Cubs are going to, you know, name his office corner like Ravis Corner or something. There's going to be um, recognition for what he's done. And I think, you know, the other thing with me, uh, you know, Harvey Dorfman, did you get to know Harvey? I did not know. So, I mean, I knew Harvey well, and Harvey was just like Ken, you know, a little more gruff, passionate. Um, but, you know, those are two mentors of people in the field that, you know, I looked up to. And all of a sudden, it's like you're losing your, your elders, you know. You're, I'm turning into that. <laughs> and, you know, it's scary but exciting. You know, it's like, well, now it's my turn to do that. And it's just sad that those you know, those leadership, those mentoring voices, you know, you miss that. And, but I think it's, you know, we all face our, our time where we've got to carry the baton. And I think it's being one of the veteran guys in this field. I think that's kind of my responsibility. I think it's a great point. And I think Ken would love to hear you say that because I'm sure that there was people in front of him, even though I know that he was on the forefront of, of pushing sports psychology within, you know, sports overall. But, you know, and I will say this, when I first met you, Bob, I mean, you and I hit it, hit it off and I'm, I'm still fairly mm-hmm. early in my career, but you know, the role that you played the day we met that you, you offered for, you know, to be supported at any time for me and a possible mentor. And it's just, and that's my job when I get to a point later in my career I'm going to pay tribute to you and Ken Revisa, and we're all going to be doing this is our role. Our role is to be in service and to help athletes and coaches and teams, but it's also to help each other. And it's yeah, really, sure. really cool that Harvey was and, and Ken was that for you in your career. Yeah, well, we got to pay it forward. And, you know, I mean, there are, there are players on other teams that call me and, and, you know, I, I don't take them on as clients, but I do talk to them because Harvey would have talked to them. And, you know, it's a one-time conversation that, you know, I try to direct them to other resources within their team or something, but I just can't leave, I can't leave anyone hanging like that. And because Harvey never did, you know, Harvey mm-hmm. uh, worked for the Boris Corp and he worked for the Marlins, but, you know, uh, if somebody called him on another team, you know, he knew that that person was suffering and needed help. Like I said, I don't take that person on as a client. There's not a lot of follow-up, but that that initial, hey, I care about you, you know, I think that that's important. That's what those guys would do, you know. For sure, for sure. If you were to describe one word to describe Ken Revisa, what, what word would that be? Hmm. Wise. <laughs> Wise. Yeah, he was wise. I think he, based on all his experience, you know, he's a teacher. Uh, he worked at college. He worked with the Olympians. He's, you know, he's done it all. And so, you know, probably for the last 10 or 15 years, he's been the wise man for us. You know, he, and uh, so I'd say wise. Yeah. That's awesome because. I don't know if you had a chance to to look at um, Brian Kane. Uh, he did a blog on on Ken's legacy, but he came up with this this tribute, if you will. It was called the KR seventy, and he felt for the seventy years that he'd been on this earth that he wanted to pay tribute to all of the sayings and statements and teachings that he thought were important to him, but important to the the field of sports psychology so basically the kr70 are just there's 70 statements from ken and when you read these statements you hear the wisdom and and you not only do you hear the wisdom but you hear the creativity in the words you hear the the Mm. passion and the energy of him being funny and not being funny but but there's so much validity to what he was saying so it's it's interesting that you brought up wise because when you actually review these seventy, which Brian said, there's probably ten thousand of these these statements, but seventy <laughs> that that meant 
that were important to him, but there's just there's a lot of wisdom in those in those statements. Yeah, I'll have to um, I'll have to check that out. But yeah, I mean, I just you know, Josh Lefrak, who's the Cubs mental skills coordinator, he sets up their stuff down in the minor leagues, and I'm sure he leaned on Ken for the three or four years Ken's been there. Um, but you know, he he's always using one of Ken's, uh, you know, have a great shitty day, you know, it's, <laughs> if you're gonna, you know, uh, you know, and, and just all these little things that, that he had come up with. So I, I look forward to seeing those and passing them along, you know, for sure. Well, Bob, I, I want to thank you for, you know, sharing your energy and, and your thoughts on Ken. Um, as we've already stated, we know how important he is and why this is important to, to reflect on his work and him as a person. And just, you know, experiencing him and being the same role that he is, I think it's important for you to be on the show and to share your thoughts. So, I, I again, thank you for being on my show. Well, thanks for doing this, Grant. I know that uh, Charlie was excited to come on. I'm sure Brian was, although it must have been hard for him and, uh, and there'll be others, and I think it's a, this will be a, a, a podcast that many people will listen to and reflect on. And I think it's a tremendous tribute to Ken. So thanks for putting this together. 